You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your gospel and the way that you save us. Help us now to concentrate our hearts and minds that we might learn more about you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome, 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 welcome. How are you feeling today? Great. Great. <laughs> um, so I was originally going to do five lessons, and so this one I kind of tacked on as a little thing. And basically, I wanted to push it back against Tim Keller's thoughts on the city, I really like Tim Keller, but I think he overhandedly plays, uh, he kind of emphasizes the city too much in his theology. I don't know if you know Tim Keller at all, but he's a Presbyterian preacher in New York, a great guy. If you listen to his sermons, it's great. Um, But I think his theology is driven more by his pragmatics in where he's ministering than, than, uh, than by his theology. So I think, as I've been saying, over and over again. We want our, our practice to be shaped by our, our theology and especially by the gospel. So when we're thinking about how do we love the city and the place of the city, we don't want to have our practice shaped by where we are, but by the gospel and let that shape what we do in the place that we are. Um, so I, don't, I just want to push back against him in thinking about that. Um, I think our emphasis, as I said, shouldn't be on where we're doing ministry, but our emphasis should be on people and and who we're doing ministry to. There shouldn't be this dichotomy between rural and urban urban, um, areas, urban Christians. But our emphasis should be on trying trying to reach all people. That is, our who, who we're ministering to should be everyone. And so we should seek to make disciples of all people. This will mean that people will move out of rural areas and move into the cities. It also means that some people in the city need to move to small places and move out to the suburbs. But we often have this kind of romantic... Come in, come in. We often have this romantic view of missions, as I like to say, that we should be moving to the furthest place on the smallest island in the middle of the Pacific to reach the people that no one's ever heard of. You know? We... we we have this romantic view that if we move overseas and we learn a different language, then we're doing God's work. But we do that at the neglect of the people around us and neglect of the people that live next door to us. So there's this quote that you've got on your page. Strangely, Christians grasp the importance of sending our best young people to small places on the foreign mission field, but often feel differently about those who go to small places in our own country as though they're squandering their talent and education. I did a two-year ministry apprenticeship um, before I went to seminary at a university in Sydney. And this university had an emphasis on reaching the less reached and the less resourced. We called it LRLR, less reached, less resourced. And the thinking behind this is that all people need need to hear the gospel and those in major cities have lots of resources that makes it available to do those. But there's places that are less reached and less resourced that need to hear the gospel. And so we're not focusing on the furthest and 
strange, like the most remote location as possible, but those who just don't have the resources to hear the gospel. And so that might be places like uh, small towns in Alabama or some areas of Birmingham, Alabama that don't have the resources that the places like the Advent do. And, you know, I obviously haven't fulfilled the mandate of going to a less resourced and less rich place. I've come to the second most Bible-minded city in America, which has, you know, the American Christian culture is, is runs rampant. But I am committed to thinking in this way and thinking about going to less rich and less resourced places. And so I love that we support uh, Holy Cross Trustville, a smaller church where we can resource and we can help them reach that, that place. But I want to kind of push back onto what I have been saying. I think strategic ministry is important. I think there's a place to think about how we can love the city and how we can think of strategic ministry in the city. I think we need to uh, have a commitment to making sure that we're loving the most strategic places and that everyone would hear the good news. But we often have an idol of place. And so our idolatry shapes our ministry rather than the gospel. So like me, you might have an idol of comfort and you might move out of the city seeking kind of peace and quiet and safety or a better lifestyle. You might you might hate traffic and so you want to get out of the city to get rid of the traffic. You may flee to the suburbs so that you're surrounded by those who are like-minded and who won't destroy your garden or steal your TV or disturb your neighbourhood or corrupt your children. You might have an idol of comfort and so you, you flee those places that you feel comfortable. And I have to pause for a moment because I don't want you to feel like I'm attacking you because really I'm just attacking myself because I comfort is my idol. Like, If I can just watch TV all day, that's what I want to do. I don't want to do anything hard. I don't want any responsibility. I just want to you know, get away from life and be comfortable. But, you know, we might also move into the cities to find comfort. If you're single and young, you might feel welcomed and protected in the cities. You might feel like an outsider in the suburbs sometimes um, because you don't conform to the social norms. Or you might be an immigrant like me or disabled or you might uh, like being in close proximity to other people. I don't understand that, but I guess some people like other people. <laughs> and so you might want to move into a city and be closer to people. But whatever it is, often it's our own desires that shape our ministry strategy. And rather, what if our mission was shaped by the gospel? What if where we lived was determined by, not by how comfortable we might be, but by how much we could love our neighbour? I don't want to prescribe a law for you to go and do something, but I want you to change your thinking. I want to plant a seed in your mind that how does the gospel shape where I live, where I do mission, where I do ministry, where I work? How am I loving the people that I live near? Do I know the people that I live next to? And again, preaching to myself, I've met my neighbour once. Uh, But that, yeah, this is... Just something I'm ranting about again. So, lest you think that this is just my rant, let's think about how the gospel shapes our involvement in the city. So, the gospel frees us to love our city and to seek its welfare. Through the gospel, God has poured out his love on us and through the spirit, we are freed 
to and empowered to love others in response to that love that is shown to us. So John 13, 34-35, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is not the love of popular culture where we agree with everyone that everything that someone does. We, we agree and accept everything that people do. Rather, it's the giving up of our rights. It's loving for the good of the other person. So 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What is the highest good that you can do for someone? That's kind of the question of my classes. What's the highest good that you can do for a person? The highest good is that they might be reconciled back to God, their creator, and they they might be in a right relationship with him. A person's greatest need is for Jesus. We love our neighbours most by sharing the gospel with them. But we don't do this at the neglect of caring for their physical or their emotional or their spiritual needs. Before going on to write one of my favourite passages in uh, Scripture, one of my favourite passages of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, but each of you to the interests of the others. There's a current debate in kind of my theological circles, which, I mean, they're not great circles, but in my theological circles, there's a debate between, between mission and social justice. You may have heard of it if you look at Christian blogs. Uh, and there's this struggle about what do we do on the mission field? Do we just tell the gospel or do we do social justice? And is social justice a, a good mode of evangelism? And so I'm kind of interacting with that in this lesson. And I think... Uh, it's a combination of both. I think our priority needs to be on telling the gospel. I don't know if you've heard the quote um, that is ascribed to some monk a while ago. It says, um, "It's something." Oh, I should have written it down. But something like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Remind me what it is. Um, have you got it? You know, preach the gospel at all times. Use words when necessary. Use words when necessary. That sounds like a nice kind of statement. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary, when necessary. I think we need to take that into our hearts and understand that. But the preaching of the gospel can only come through words. People need to hear the good news of Jesus. But our lives must also witness to that news. So there's a, there's a tension there of wanting to preach the gospel and also backing that up by the, our integrity of nature. And so this is the same struggle that we have with evangelism and social justice. We want to tell people the good news because they need to hear it, but we also want to live out the good news in our lives so that they can see what it means to be a Christian. They can see the difference that it makes and that they can uh, be ministered to us, not just uh, spiritually, but also physically and emotionally as well. Uh, I'm very grateful for our... Sorry, I've just gone on a big side note and I'm trying to get back on my notes. Uh, I'm a big fan of social justice and I'm a, a big fan of the Thursday morning service. 
if you've never been to that, I commend you to go to our Thursday morning service where we give out a meal to the homeless after the service. Uh, but I've, as I've preached to those at that service, if we are just caring for people physically and emotionally, but neglecting their most pertinent need, their biggest need, their spiritual need, then we've missed our calling as a church. We've, we've just become a shelter or a food bank if we don't minister them spiritually. Because we are a church, a place where God gathers people to hear the good news and to share it with others. We must preach to them the good news because it's the only way that God can fix their lives. It's the only way that God can deal with their ultimate need. And I've said this a few times already, but we constantly, I constantly need to be reminded because I keep forgetting. But there's something worse in this life than death. And there's something greater in this life than just prosperity and human flourishing. There's something worse in this life than death and something greater than just prosperity and human flourishing. And that's the salvation that we have in Christ. I've repeated it multiple times because I keep forgetting it. And we get distracted by this world. We get distracted by shiny things, lights and sounds. But we need to keep reminding ourselves of the gospel. And we need to keep reminding ourselves that people desperately need to hear it. But we don't do this at the neglect of people's physical and emotional needs. I kind of want to demythologize evangelism and discipleship because I can often become paralyzed by uh, the thought of doing evangelism, thinking that I need to say all the right things and uh, you know, I have a fear of not getting it right and of offending someone. Uh, I'm a very nice guy. I don't, I'm a people pleaser, I, I guess you would say. So I don't want you to feel discomforted at all. You know? So I'm going to do whatever I can so that you don't feel like you're at any discomfort. And so when I think about evangelism, I often think that I'm going to offend someone or, or I might get in the way of God's work. But this is mostly because of my lack of trust in God's power, in God's word, in his gospel. And it's a lack of trust in his ability to work through my weakness, as Zach is preaching about. We need to get rid of this idea that evangelism uh, is, is difficult or that only the evangelist can do it or that you need to be specially trained in it. You don't need special training in evangelism. All it takes is talking to people normally about Jesus, opening up the Bible with them and reading it with them. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be seminary trained or a pastor or do an evangelism or discipleship course. You just need to trust in the saving power of God, in his power of the gospel. Because the gospel reminds us that salvation is not our work. We can't save anyone in our own strength. You, you're not going to save anyone. As a pastor, this is the hardest thing for me. I can't save you. I wish I could save you. It'd be so much easier. But we can't save anyone. God is the one who saves. We must trust that he is at work, even through or often despite our feeble attempts. And we need to be reminded that God includes us in his work. We need to have the confidence to let God work and to let his word do the work and let ourselves be the instrument. So in Romans 1.16, Paul writes this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, 
first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. There's no magic formula when it comes to preaching the gospel. You don't have to make sure you say all the right things. Though, I mean, I did say at the start of these classes that the gospel is a particular thing. So we want to talk to, to people about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you don't have to feel like you have to say that in a particular way. Uh, one of the most effective tools in evangelism and discipleship that we often forget is building relationships. This is why I talked about hospitality a few weeks ago. I think hospitality is a great way to do evangelism. We need to build relationships with people, get to know them, listen to their stories, listen to their lives, learn about their struggles, learn about their sin, so that we might be able to connect the gospel to their life. This doesn't mean we change the gospel to suit their needs, but this, through listening to people, through hearing their stories, we can more clearly articulate and communicate the gospel to them. You might be able to hear about how God's grace might come to them more easily. This is what we call contextualization. Uh, as a church, we cannot afford to separate from the city that we live in, from the place that we are. We're not meant to become monks in a monastery and separate ourselves out from the evil, hiding away from the world but we're meant to be a part of this city. And this is how we love it, by being a part of it. We must work and play and live in this city, building relationships with those around us. Jesus says during his Sermon on the Mount, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We can't change the city from the outside in. You can't just be on the outside and be like, oh, that city, it's full of sinners and damn it to hell. We've got to be a part of the city. We must get involved in the city, get our hands dirty, get to know the people that need to hear the good news. We need to understand how sin is afflicting them, understand their pain and their suffering, love them and care for them and minister to them with the saving power of the gospel. Now I'm going quite quick because I've got lots of things to do at the end of this lesson, so I apologise for that. Um, I want to take a moment because this doesn't mean that we kind of change the gospel, as I've been saying, to suit our city or society. We don't need to make the gospel more relevant or uh, more palatable for people. Uh, it's already relevant. God's news is alive and active. God's word is alive and active. Sharp and double-edged sword. The gospel has uh, massive consequences for our life now. Jesus is on the throne now, ruling. And all, all people must come to hear him and submit to his rule. The gospel is powerful. We don't need to domesticate it. We don't need to make it easier to hear, comfortable, more comfortable for people. We don't need to degrade it into a kind of therapeutic, moralistic deism that our culture so desires. A God that comes to us on our own terms or 
helps us out with our problems and doesn't call us to change. The gospel changes everything. Now, you might be a little bit confused because I've been saying we need to listen to people and hear their concerns and meet them at their needs, but we don't want to change the gospel. But what I mean by contextualization is that it's more along the lines of translation. Uh, We need to speak the language of the people, if that makes sense. You can't preach the gospel to anyone if you don't know their language. So we need to hear the language that they're hurting in, hear the language that they're sinning in, hear the language that they're uh, loving and repenting in. We need to understand their language so that we can better translate the message of the gospel to them. There's no point in saying repent of your sins if people don't understand what sin is or what repenting is. Or, you know, we can't just keep saying Jesus Christ is Lord and not have them understand who Jesus was or what the word Christ means or what it means to be Lord. We need to speak to them in their own terms. We need to speak their language so that they can hear it. And this is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 to 23. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to, the, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. We need to learn the language of the people around us, that they might be able to, that we might be able to tell them with greater clarity the good news of Jesus Christ. So our application of the gospel also might be a little bit different depending on the person. Once we learn their language, we can better apply the gospel to their life. Uh, So Jesus approaches different people throughout his ministry um, to people who are aware of of their sin, like the woman caught in adultery. Jesus gives them a word of comfort, a word of gospel. Your sin has been forgiven, go and sin no more. To the uh, rich young ruler, Jesus prescribes a word of law. You know, give up all that you have and come follow me. Go Go and give up your things. Some people need to hear the good news of comfort. Some people need to hear the good news of Christ's lordship and submission. We don't change the gospel in order to suit people's desires, but we can be careful in listening to people, in learning about them and in understanding where their heart is and then presenting the gospel in a way that they will be able to hear it clearly. But we can only do this if we are living in our city, if we are loving the people around us and building relationships uh, with them. Uh, I'm going to skip a little bit. Uh, The gospel allows us to confront our sin and be honest with ourselves, be honest with our culture. Uh, Because of the security we have in Christ, we have the freedom to critique and challenge our culture. So we can say things that are evil are evil. So things like, Uh, racism and sexism, violence, greed, lust, drug addiction, pornography, alcoholism, poverty, divorce, abortion, euthanasia, domestic violence, materialism, consumerism, 
affluenza, corruption, police brutality, homelessness, joblessness, so many things. These things are evil. And because of the gospel, we can be honest about our society and our culture and say, no, that is wrong. And we can trust in God's power to change those things. We don't have to kind of uh, give up. We don't have to concede defeat in our society. But through weakness, through trusting in God's power, we can transform the city for the good. We don't have to try and find a lesser uh, evil in a bad situation. But trusting in God's sovereign control, we can work for the good of all people and not using our freedom to do what is evil, but letting our freedom be used for good. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 23-24, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do everything, uh, sorry, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Often we rely on what works and what is easy because we don't trust that God will provide the means for the way that we can love our city. We look for a leader who is dynamic or who is charismatic rather than one who has integrity and character because we are not confident that God will be able to use them to lead. The gospel allows us to remove and critique our culture uh, of all the evils that are in our systems and structures. Even if this means promoting the things that we want and think are good, we can remove the evil from those things. The gospel reminds us that God is in control and uniting all things back to himself. He's not a distant God that doesn't care about our city. But he enters into our history, changes our storyline and is bringing us into a new creation. So with our eyes fixed on the cross, knowing that our future is secure, we can boldly and uh, confidently step out in faith and love those around us. We can give generously to those who need it. We can restructure our government, our cities, our lives for the good of those around us. We can sacrifice our desires for the sake of others, loving our neighbour as ourselves. If we know that this world is temporary, we know that we are just visitors in this time. And so we don't need to be captive to our culture and our society. Uh, Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. The gospel reminds us that we are heading to somewhere even greater than this city. And so we need to trust in God's power to bring us there and to transform this city. I've got so much more to say about culture and society, but I need to cut it short. Uh, and I would, hopefully if I stay here for longer than just this year, you can keep talking to me about this and I can keep calling you out for loving football so much. Um, <laughs> again, that, I preach to myself because I love it too. Um, but that's all I've got to say about the Gospel in the City. Uh, and thank you for those who have been with me for more than just this week and have been to every class. Uh, I hope this has been fruitful and helpful for you. It's definitely been fruitful and helpful for me. Um, I've been wrestling with this teaching cl- uh, class all, all over the six weeks. Sorry, I'm, I'm rushing in my head and so my words aren't coming out as clearly as I'd like. Um, I'm just going to stop there. And I've got some...
housekeeping to do. Part of my daemon is I need to collect data on whether you're hearing what I'm saying or not. And now, so I need to, I need you to do a test, but it's not a test of your ability. It's a test of my ability. And so you can be as hard on me as you want. I don't, I don't care about that. Um, so I've got some things to hand out. If you haven't already picked up this Praxis Director, you got one? Second page. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't have to do it right now. You can turn it in at another at a later date. I am the Praxis Director. If that is a confusing word for you. Great, 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 great. This is the praxis of my dissertation. So uh, it's just a word that we use to discern what is. It's just language. Yeah, this is for Basin. <laughs> yeah, this is for Basin. Um, do you guys get? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, for those who have done one online, I can also send you an online version if you prefer that. Um, email would be great, um, but I'll be here next week, and you can give it to me, or you can, yeah, I might. You can hand it into the front office if that is easier. Victor. You know, it's interesting. Um, Tim Keller, who's retired from uh, Redeemer. Redeemer. Now 100% focused on that ministry called City to City. Mm -hmm. He made a presentation. Oh, he's been here several times on that same ministry, but he talked about in the current dynamics in the world, in most countries, and you see a lot like in China and in this country, people are leaving the rural areas and they're all moving to the cities. But what's happening is the Christians, churches yeah, that are you know going with them, and he said that's where a real focus needs to be. Um, and he says he gets, there's a lot of pushback because you know people say, oh, it's so expensive to do ministry and set up shops in the cities. I can do ten out in the rural area, but I can do one in the city. And he goes, uh, uh-huh, okay. Yeah. So what? <laughs> you know, he's saying, if we're not going into the cities, we are not fulfilling the uh, Great Commission. Yeah, yeah. So I, I agree with him in some respects. I just think we need to make sure our horse, horse, our horse is before our cart. So we want, we want to make sure that we're doing things in the right priority. And so um, our gospel needs to shape our strategy rather than our strategy shaping our gospel. And, then, and it's hard because I'm really just critiquing him on one aspect. And I know he's a great gospel preacher, but I just want to make sure that I'm teaching you guys faithfully that the gospel needs to be the main thing. And we do need to move into our cities, I think. Um, I see that in Sydney. Um, lots of immigrants move into cities, uh, and they are people that don't have family structures, that don't have uh, friends or whatever. Uh, and so the church can be a great place to care for those people and then to reach those people as well. Um, and so I'm a big proponent for living in cities. But, yeah, I just want to make sure we've got the priorities right. I saw a great sign in a church. I mean, it's here in Birmingham, and I can't remember which one. It's over the exit. It says you're entering the mission field. Yeah. 
My my church in a small town in Bury used to have a sign as you're leaving the car park saying that mm-hmm. that you're entering the mission field. So yeah, I'll make sure that all people hear the gospel. Yeah. Social justice. Mm-hmm. It seems like such a seem like such secular buzzword. What's what's the difference between justice and social justice? Uh, that's a great question that I've never thought about before. Uh, I think justice would probably be focusing on judicial systems. Um, so when we talk about justice. We probably have a, a broader understanding of what that means, and it can mean kind of anything. I think social justice has come to mean caring for the poor and working for the good of society um, in a specific way. Um, so I think it's just a word that people use for a particular means. I don't think it has any connotations with it too much. I think you can use it for whatever way you want, but come back at me. Because you got lots of thoughts in your head, I can see. It seems, uh, it, it seems to me like it, it gets used uh, to promote an agenda as opposed to, as opposed to an ideal of justice. So, yeah. You know, it, it seems like it almost seems like it's, it seems like the social modifier of justice diffuses it. Oh yeah, I mean, don't get me started about justice, because so. no one wants justice, right? I don't want justice. I'm I'm going to hell if I get justice. I want grace. <laughs> so, Ken, sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I've got to go get ready for the next service, so thank you all for coming. I will probably email those who I have signed up and all that kind of stuff. So, Sorry I didn't have time. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.